What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Not Another Football Podcast. We are Greg, Mike, and JP. Boys, it's been a while since we've talked. How are you guys doing? Mike, what do you what have you been up to? Oh, man, I'm doing good. Uh, just busy with, with work and life and all that good stuff. Um, but as I was saying a little bit offline, uh, I'm, we're expecting our first snow out here in, in Boston. It just started to rain. Um, really excited. It seems like winter is finally here. Um, after a 70 degree weekend, um, we're into the thirties and the twenties. So, uh, it's about time I say, man, it is, it is thick boy winter and I am excited. This is, this is my time to thrive. I'm all about it. Give me all the snow. Give me all the dreary days. Give me all like the dead looking trees. That's that's my time. This is when I shine. Y'all skinny people can have your summers and do all the gallivanting and be at the pool. Nah, this is this is my time. I'm thrilled for the winter. You know, I, I got to say, Mike, I would have thought that you'd, you would be the first one out of the three of us to get snow being out on the East Coast. Um, but yeah, like, you know, Whenever we get, we've had a little bit of snow, not enough to, to stick or anything, uh, at least where we live uh, on the other side of town, Camille's parents, I mean, they're at a higher elevation than us, but um, they've been getting a lot more snow where it's actually stuck and um, their whole backyard is covered, which is nice. Yeah, that's wild. You would think, right? But um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a weird, weird kind of uh, end of fall-ish here. Uh, it seems like everything's been kind of kind of pushed back. Usually it's uh, a lot colder, but it, um, this week it finally turned finally turned to forties every day. So uh, we're getting into it. Yeah, it's a little weird that you're the last one of the three of us to actually get snow. But many many snowy days in your future. I, I wish upon me, my friend. As now that we say something, driveway. yeah. Now now that we say something, JP, watch this weekend. They're just going to get like <laughs> a, a blizzard. <laughs> it's another polar vortex. I know the mother nature's like, hold my beer. What, what, what do they call them up there? What do they call them? Uh, the, their bomb something. What are they called? Uh, oh, dang. Well, I mean, there's a bomb cyclone and then there's also like a nor'easter, but that's like a, a close to a hurricane. Oh, I, well, I'm all confused. Well, disregard my, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and uh, quiet up now. <laughs> All right, JP, we'll, we'll, we'll take your silence and we'll just move into uh, the question of the day. And that is, if there was a new expansion team to come, I understand we're at an even number. So most likely, you know, at this point, we'd probably want two for it there to be, you know, um, consistency on both sides. But if there was at least one new expansion team to start off, what city, um, either go with city or state, it's up to you, um, do you think should get it first? JP, I want to start with you since... Uh, especially where you're located. I don't know if that's where you're going to start, but I want to start with you. Yeah, I think that I, I think if I was going, if I was selecting two teams, right, two teams to put in there, I would actually put a team back in St. Louis. This city deserves it. I think that the way that Kroenke handled everything on the way out, it's it was a travesty. It was borderline illegal, seeing as they paid a five hundred million dollar settlement to the city of St. Louis for in, in settling a fraud suit. Uh, So I I think St. Louis deserves it. I know that we have the XFL coming and people are excited. I have, I have a season ticket. I it's going to be a blast in the years prior when they, when they brought it back in 2020, no other stadium had record attendance like that. So most stadiums that were the XFL was playing in, you had the lower bowl of the stadium, and that was it. Tickets sold out so fast that they had to open the upper deck of the Edwards Jones Dome, and there were more people in there than there were average season tickets to go season ticket holders to go see the Rams when they were here. So it's a city that that wants football, that thrives on football, and it's a city that no matter what sport it is, the city will back it. This like this is a sports town, and I think that St. Louis was unjustly robbed of it by an owner who purposely put out mediocre teams and mediocre products in order to move his city move his team to LA. So I would pick here and I know this is a you know not a lot of people would like this but I think that Texas should get another team. And you should put that team in Austin. I think New York having three teams, California used to have three teams. 
I don't see why Texas wouldn't have three teams. It is the hotbed of football, right? I'll, t- I'll tell you why they won't have three teams in that. Uh, that that is Jerry Jones. He uh, Jerry Jones. I, I don't think Jerry Jones would allow another team to come into Texas. Yeah, I absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was. I stand corrected. They used to have. I made the move. Let me correct myself. They do have three teams in California. I was miscalculating the move from L.A., the Rams going into L.A., and the Raiders leaving Oakland. Um, But I think it's a situation where Austin has the market. Austin is a booming city to the point of, you know, it can support. And looking at – these are two teams that have also – one are adding Major League Soccer franchises – and the support and the outpour that they get behind these franchises shows that these are cities that are ripe for professional sports in a new way. Um, and I think that if I were to pick two cities, it would be Austin and St. Louis. You put Austin in the West, put St. Louis in the East, um, for in terms of if you're splitting it that way, or you know, St. Louis would probably be in the – it would be a toss-up between the NFC North and the NFC South um, – splitting it up that way but those would be my choices yeah it's it is crazy to think how many teams california used to have um i think i'd probably go international here um for at least one of the teams i think and i and i think we saw it this last week uh with the nfl game in in germany in particular and as we've seen them in in london and in mexico city um it's it is truly a global product. And so I think that they should lean in, lean into that. And at least I know that they do have uh, some affiliate leagues in other countries, like in Italy. um, And I think in Germany as well, but there used to be an entire, there used to be an entire NFL Europe back in the early two thousands. I just remember that from, that was the team you would play against in Madden 2004 to get, to get all the Madden points. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I used to play as those teams to try and win the Super Bowl and give myself a challenge. Um, last time I was competitive at Madden, of course. Um, but you know, it, it, it truly, (laughs) it truly, I I do think that internationally they, they deserve a, uh, at least one, one team, one franchise. I feel kind of bad every year because these uh, folks are buying jerseys of teams that like they clearly like from the U S but then the only opportunity they have to go and see a team, it probably isn't going to be their favorite team. So you see kind of just a bunch of random jerseys in the, in the, in the stands and, um, when you compare that to what you see with soccer and how uniform and and um, together the the fans can be, I think it'd be nice to give the Europe an opportunity to kind of showcase um, kind of what their fans can can bring to a sport that is already so heavy in, in fan engagement. But the other city, I, I I think looking at at the U.S., I really want to give another another team to. I don't know if I would want to expand, uh, expand any more. Um, I guess I would do two internationally then. So probably um, one in say Munich and the other in, in London, if I were to pick, pick two. I think it's all fine to have games, one game here and there internationally. But I think, I, I guess if it's going to be in, in any professional sport, I guess football would make the most sense because it's only one game a week um, versus, you know, like, but then I don't know, like it it also, what I'm about to say is, you know, proves that wrong because MLB has someone in Toronto and then uh, NBA also has it in Toronto and, you know, the NHL does too. So I think, I think that kind of would make sense to me if I'm going international, you know, I'm going to put that in quotes because I, I know we don't really think and look at that as international going uh, north of the border, but I'd put one in Toronto and then I'd probably also put one in, um, kind of sticking with JP, kind of the Midwest, like maybe Omaha area. Um, just, just, you know, I wanted to say like Oklahoma is somewhere in Oklahoma, just because it's, it's the Midwest. They have really good turnout for, um, college football and, you know, thunder pull, I'm just trying to be different. I see that stank look that JP is giving, but I didn't want to say the same ones you guys are saying. And I think would, if you try and put one in San Diego, it's like an NFL team just left there. It's it's just kind of not that vibe down there. Um, Texas would be great. I don't really don't see why you wouldn't put one there. I think Texas would be perfect because, I mean, I don't think there's a huge – besides Dallas, 
there's not a huge loyalty to the Texans. People kind of go to the Texans because, I mean, what else are you doing over there? If, yeah, um, if you're if you're an old Oilers fan or if you live in Houston. Yeah. So, therefore, like, they don't have that type of, like, stronghold that the Cowboys have. So, yeah, introduce a third team in the market. But, you know, I'll just I'll, – I'll stick with those two and, uh, yeah. I really like that Toronto pick, seeing as, like, the drive from Buffalo to Toronto is, like, an hour and 45 minutes. So if you already had a team in Buffalo, right, that's closer than most division rivals are, especially since Buffalo plays Miami twice a year. And, God, I swear, anyone that's listening that loves international or that lives international probably just thinks that I hate um, over anyone overseas. But I just – I don't think it would make sense to put a professional team overseas like at, you know, permanently as it's, you know, like – where it's Log- actually located, it would be logistically. A I mean, it's yeah, it's a huge commitment. Like, it, it wouldn't be something that's just day in, like day one. They're ready. I think they'd have to to set up to your point, like just to figure out the logistics and how they want teams to to recover and recuperate either before or after. It's a it's a it'd be incredibly involved process. So it, it definitely wouldn't be um, a wave of the magic Goodell wand. Yeah, but I, like that's that's the tough part about it all, right? It's like how do you logistically put out 17 games knowing that either nine times nine or eight times a year, you're going to have another team traveling overseas. And that's also revenue out of, cause then you have to think about taxation issue. It's a whole, it's a whole mess once you, once you get into that international structure. But I, I do, I think that you're absolutely like your sentiment hits exactly home, Mike. I think that there's a huge fan base overseas, and I feel like we're not really doing our best to take advantage of that. Um, I do like that they've expanded to to four games a year. I think you can up that. I I think you can do potentially like you know seven to eight games overseas a year, but I don't think that you can permanently establish one team or two teams overseas. I think the, the the complexities of it would be too tough, but I do think that we should be doing more games overseas. I 100% agree. So let's carry this, this great conversation over into league news for the week, right? We're talking about all these, these international things. Obviously we had our, our international game in Munich, which was a huge, really fun sight to see, right? You have a bunch of very inebriated German fans singing John Denver, which was confusing, but, delightful you know i'm all for a mass singing of country roads um on the opposite end we had some very unfortunate news we had a lot of a lot of key people go down this week um cooper cup going to the ir um khalil herbert from <clears throat> excuse me khalil herbert going down it looks like dallas goddard might be going to the ir zach Ertz with a knee injury uh we have the Zach Ertz injury looked pretty serious as well. Um, Jerry Judy, another ankle injury. And a really scary sight to see on Sunday was the injury, the concussion that happened to Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, almost almost identical in, in arm movements as to what happened to, to Tua back in week four. So, boys, let's, let's kind of break down these injuries and, and see – I guess I want to take it away from the individual impact of each player, but talking about with the, ex- with the expansion of the season to 17 games, how do you feel like this season after having the first full season last year, now we have another season, uh, the second season of 17 games. How do you feel like this is impacting these, this injury? Um, and then I'll have a second follow-up question after that. I think real fast, it, it, it having a longer season allows for a more flexible use of the IR in season, which I find really interesting. And it allows players to come back and go out for a longer period of time than perhaps was available in previous seasons because of cutoff or whatever other bureaucratic legislation they, they kind of had over uh, the injury designations. But um, it, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was saying that the NFL is like a hundred, it's a hundred percent injury rate. It's just a matter of how people tolerate certain things, nicks, nicks and, and bruises here and there. So unfortunately I think injuries will always be part of the game and whether it's a long or short season won't minimize within each game, the risk of injury. 
But I do think that the number of games played can have a compounding effect, particularly on players who are suffering such uh, significant trauma uh, as we've seen with both Juju and, um, and Tua. So I think it, there are arguments to be made on either side. And I hate to kind of take, take the middle road here, but it, it's, it's, it requires such an involved discussion that I don't think I can take a, a legitimate side and, and not also have other le- just as legitimate questions about whichever, uh, whichever position is taken. But I think at the end of the day, player safety is the most important and the advances in medical science have allowed for um, some more unique approaches to aspects of, of injuries. And so um, anything that, that lets players showcase more of themselves on the field, such as being able to navigate uh, things like the IR um, more colorfully, I think is a, is a benefit. But in the grand scheme, I think it's it's overall maybe net negative for players individually. I don't know if I, I don't know if this is going to actually like answer your JP or answer your your question JP, or if I'm just kind of going to be talking. I think kind of like to what Mike said everyone is going to get injured in NFL. It's such a physical and violent sport. Obviously the extent of injuries very, very, um, very drastically. Um, But I mean, just, I don't think you truly understand the impact or how physical the game is unless you've played professionally. Like, yeah, a lot of people play in high school and for a lot of people that it ends right there. And then a few more go to play college and then a select few go play in the NFL but you saw Derek Carr this last weekend on the podium, just talking about like the pain and struggle of that the players go through every week and every day and how hard it is for them to fall asleep. The pills they have to take or just, just to get their body back enough to be able to practice to play. And it's like, as fans, we don't see that, you know, we see for the majority of us, we see the product on Sunday, uh, Thursdays or Monday. And it's just like, you know, you get those injury reports, like, Oh, someone has like, you know, foot tightness or ankle tightness, you know, hamstring tightness. And we're just like, oh, you better play our fantasy. We need this win this week. You know what I mean? So we look at it from that aspect. But I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, for me, I know I've, I've, spoke, I've spoken on it during season one. I talked about it a little bit earlier this on, on this season. For me, more football isn't necessarily always better for me. Um, I was okay with 16 games. 17 isn't where they're ending. You know they're going to go to 18 because what's it doing in the in the long run? 17 games is taking money out of uh, owner's pocket for one game because they're getting one less home game every other year. So they're of course they're going to be pushing to get 18. They're all, they're always going to want that. So we're seeing all these injuries each week we talk about it and like whether it's concussion or ACLs it just gets worse and worse and players are even talking about like the impact of grass versus turf and the NFL came out with that report, I think like last week or two weeks ago. And they're just like, Oh, there's no different. There's like real, no difference between turf and um, grass in terms of like ACL injuries or just in the, what it causes. Um, but I think it does have some impact if too many players, if so many players are coming out and just being like the grass at MetLife stadium is the turf at MetLife is terrible versus another field. So I don't know. It, it, it's tough seeing these every week, especially star players and um, the injury to uh, the cornerback for the Niners uh, last week where he's been in the league, but it's been injured every year. I think an Ohio State player had the same thing last weekend where he this is like his sixth year playing. He just scored his first touchdown or just got his first catch because he's just had ACL after ACL injury. And it's it's tough. It's hard to see. I love the game of football, but man, it's I don't know. It, it's tough. Well, you actually hit on my second question there. So, um, yeah, it was really just about the difference between turf and grass and, and how we kind of view that in today's game. I guess I'll keep it short here. I, I think with these injuries, I think it's a diminished product. And I think at the same time, like we're, we're getting more opportunities to see people shine that didn't haven't, that haven't had historically the opportunity to shine because players were staying healthier and, that's the way it was, um, you know, specifically looking at like, some of the backup quarterbacks that got an opportunity, PJ Walker, Taylor Heineke, who led the the commanders to an upset victory. Right. I, I, I do think, and I'll, I'll take a bit more of an affirmative stance on this. I do think that the all fields should be grass, grass fields. 
even if it's not historically talking about, you know, ACL injuries, ACL tears, the amount of damage that turf does to your skin on a, just on a general basis, like growing up in, in Vegas, I had to, I had to play on turf because it was too expensive to keep grass in the desert. And oh my God, it's, it's miserable. It is miserable to get your body torn up by that turf and players feel more comfortable there's less of a variance of snag in your cleats. You know, we talk about this. Um, there's a very, is it, to plug another podcast, right? Um, I don't normally do this, but the, the Kelsey brothers have a podcast and they were, they had a really good breakdown when they're talking about how much they hate playing on turf. You have to change your spikes constantly. You don't know what, what turf is going to be, what turf is going to be hard, what turf is going to be soft, which one's going to have more bounce. And it completely affects the way that you stop and you cut. And I, I think the league needs to move away from turf. And I think that's the one thing that the NFLPA has really been uh, banging the drum about, and perhaps more so recently. But there was a coordinated effort on uh, Twitter, I think, with some players talking and providing stats about uh, grass versus turf, um, particularly MetLife and um, the Commander Stadium uh, for some anecdotal um, challenges that players have had. But um, it, it's so true. I think that it, it's incredible to me that this far into kind of uh, trying to understand the game, people don't um, just consider grass to be the, the, the first and, and foremost of any stadium. Um, it's, it's pretty wild. If, if places like Las Vegas can host and, and other uh, like Dallas can have hockey teams, then you can just keep grass. It's Arizona does it and they do it well. So the rest of the league should really take some notes. And to think that the league used to have, or in, in any sport, AstroTurf, <laughs> you know, at the old Metrodome. Carpeted cement, yep. Yeah, it, man, it, it, uh, <laughs> that was luxury back in the day, I guess, but man, that was terrible. Well, what an exciting weekend of football we had, um, I think we'll, we'll take the time to talk about uh, something we liked this week and something we didn't like this week. Um, I have to say that the thing that I liked in particular was um, that I'm the apparently the Panthers fan on this podcast since I've gone with them um, a couple of times to my success. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. They, they played, played well. Um, but something I didn't like, um, and this is probably a little, a little selfish and, and biased in me, but I didn't like seeing – uh, the Steelers jump on the Saints. I, I was really hoping to see the Saints come back and and uh, take it to the Steelers. I'm still trying to get a feel for where they are as a divisional opponent since we haven't uh, since the Ravens haven't played them yet. Um, so I think those are the those are my likes and dislikes of the week. It's always interesting week to week to see um, how some of these teams will perform. And so inconsistency, what I don't like. I'm going to say the worst of the week, and part of it is going to touch on um, what you guys talked about last week. But also part of it is just what the hell is happening in Las Vegas? I know I wasn't here last week, so I'll, I'll just recap and just say it real fast. I don't have a problem with Jeff Saturday, the coach. It was – I don't think it should have happened. We all know why it happened. They're, they're tanking. Um, there's no other reason why you would do something like that. Everyone says that he's a great guy. Cool. I have no problem with that. Um, he just shouldn't – they shouldn't have – hired him as the coach. Now, with that being said, Josh McDaniels is completely like, I don't know what the hell is happening down in Vegas. Uh, you went from a playoff team last year to now you're two and seven and you just lost to a team that has had so much controversy and just turnover and everything this year, I mean, just in the last month itself, coordinator been was fired. Had I don't know, even previous prior to that, Matt Ryan gets benched, coordinator gets fired, head coach gets fired, and then you bring in a completely unknown. The Raiders could not have asked for a better a, a, a better opponent this week to come in and and get the dub. And what do they do? They go out and lay an egg. At this point, I don't. I'm not saying McDaniels needs to be fired. I'm give him another year. Okay, that's fine. But something needs to happen. Um, I personally think that they're going to move Carr 
at the end of the year. And it's not because Carr's a bad quarterback. I actually like Carr. But I think his run with the Raiders is over. Um, and he should be happy with that. I I would. You've spent like six years there, and you are the only stable thing there. That was my worst of the weekend. I'm I'm confused. I was talking with you know my in-law last week about the Raiders, and he's he is completely confused with what's happening too. And uh, this this season is a loss. Uh, what I did like from the weekend, a couple things just continue to keep proving people right. And the league is so up and down this week, like the Packers beating the Cowboys and stuff. So like, I think that type of stuff I like when upsets happen, especially against a team that should have went in and beat them. Um, it also is even great that it's the Cowboys that lost because I keep hearing all this stuff. The, the Eagles lost all this stuff. So like upsets happen. You guys talked about it last week. This season more than ever is continuing to give us some parody. And I think that is what I continue to like about the NFL this year. Hmm, okay. Um, so I'll start with what I, what I liked from this week. I, I love this group of young dominant wide receivers that we have. Like watching these cats come out and play is so enjoyable to me. Like the athleticism that is put on display every week by people like Justin Jefferson, people like Jalen Waddle, people like AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, you know, even those times when you, when DJ Moore actually has a functioning quarterback, it's to see the amount of talent that's out there at the wide receiver position. It's just so enjoyable to watch like you things that you never thought that you would see duplicated are being done by like four people across the league at one time. And I think that's the most enjoyable thing for me to watch is how crazy good these wide receivers are. Um, and I, I, this is a, to switch topics to what I, what I didn't like is what I'm seeing from these roughing the passer calls. It is, it's ruining the way that I enjoy football. Sometimes it's, it's become so like to use like, you know, in legal speak, in legal speak, when something is often deemed to be unconstitutional or something along those lines arbitrary and capricious is the terminology that's used it's it's completely at anyone's discretion with no sense of actual ability to find and pinpoint any sort of basis for it there's no commonality there's no constants to the call it, it it's just ruining the way that football games are being decided particularly if these calls are being called in the fourth quarter with less than two minutes left, like you saw in the game last night, like at some point we have to draw a line. Like I get it. You don't want what happened to Tua to happen every week. Totally understand that. But at some point, like this is also football. I understand you want to legislate the game to keep people healthy. I get it. I'm I'm not calling for the old like head hunting penalties of Ronnie Lott in days past, but at this, at some point, the person has has on pads and a helmet, right? They're gonna get hit, but the that call that ended the game last night was just ridiculous. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's been th at least three that come to my mind: Chris Jones, uh, Grady Jarrett, and then last night that weren't just roughing the passer; they decided and potentially decided the outcome of a game um, because. Last night's obviously extended the game, got that um, without the roughing the passer with in the Atlanta Bucks game, um, continue that drive, Bucks win. I don't remember what happened. I think the Raiders ultimately lost that game, but it was it would have been another third down stop for the Chiefs. So like it, these aren't just small ones that are just happening in the first quarter, second quarter. Like they're actually out, you know, affecting the outcome of the game, which that right there should be a huge problem for the NFL. Like if it's actually affecting the legit outcome of the game, they need to look at that seriously. I think that that's a great point. And I think it, it really brings us kind of into our next topic about quarterbacks and the way the league is protecting them. I, I brought this question to you guys earlier today because it's just really been, uh, how do I say this in, in, in a not, uh, make me sound so stupid. Um, Quarterbacks have just been so heavy on my heart lately and on my mind. No, um, but but for real, like I I try and talk to Camille about football and I tell her about this stuff and like she'll 
she gets annoyed at quarterbacks or she'll just like roll her eyes when it comes to quarterbacks and stuff because she's just like, the game is bigger than the quarterbacks. And while I completely agree with her, it when you have a terrible quarterback and the, the quarterback play is so bad, it almost kind of makes football unwatchable. So you're kind of just like, yeah, they get way too much publicity, way too much credit and all that stuff. But like it, you know, when you have bad play, it's almost unwatchable. Yeah. Look at JP's face struggling over there after, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, JP. So that, that brings me to my question is it's there's, there's a bunch of them. So let me just start with this. Why do some quarterbacks take more heat than others? Like, I feel like there are some quarterbacks that just kind of seem like, I don't want to say untouchable, but there are excuses for everything. Um, like one quarterback has two quarterbacks can have the exact same performance, but one will get completely tore down. And the other one is just like, Oh, it was just his bad week. His players were injured, whatnot. So Mike, let me start with you. And uh, is there an example in the league that just uh, maybe bugs you, or you see that discrepancy with that? You're just like, I don't understand. Yes. And I, I think that you said you, you touched on something there that really kind of leans into uh, this topic. And I, I think we all could probably have several examples of why certain quarterbacks receive more or lesser share of blame or accolades, depending on the outcome of, of games. But what I'll, I'll talk about from a little bit of a different angle is that quarterback as a position has become almost like stylistically a an art form for, for analysts and for for people who uh, observe the game and therefore this the actual statistics don't find their way into the argument because it's about how the quarterback looks playing the position and so I think that there are examples throughout and, and perhaps more recently quarterbacks like Mariota have been in the league for quite some time and were electric in college and receive and in as an example has never received the praise of some of his peers who haven't quite quite frankly haven't been able to perform even half as well as as him um, and that's setting an incredibly low bar and yet you don't see as much uh, as much critique on on players like that um, and so I, I really don't think you know it, it, it will ever change as long as folks continue to ignore the the data because that's truly um, it, in a league that's driven by data understanding the data sets you apart but when people can't even use that in their their just their discussions about a position, it it just it it begets the worst forms of uh, bias, and it unfortunately continues to to be a, an issue here in the league with with tons of quarterbacks. And I could uh, probably have a uh, a separate hour and a half long podcast about how I feel uh, that relates to the Ravens, but I will save us that um, that timing since I'm not editing this week. So please. Um, I want to hear from you guys too. So I'm going to take this two separate ways real quick. I'll talk the front end um, about the position in general. Um, it's because it, it affects so much. And there are two cerebral positions that are always considered, right? Well, technically, I really, I say three, but media wise and like high level thinking, you have one on each side of the ball, right? You have your quarterback, and you have your middle linebacker. Those are your two schematic they call plays, they run the defense, they run the system, they run the offense, yada, yada, yada. I think with the quarterback position, because of the value that we've placed on it and we've seen, if you do not have a skilled quarterback, how miserable your team will be as an experience. And and it's not even just in this situation. It's like you have to strive each year. And I, I'm of the opinion you should take a quarterback every year in the draft until you find the one that's going to be your generational talent. I, I'm – I am all on that, especially with the implementation of the rookie wage scale. Absolutely. You should do it. When you don't do it, you end up in quarterback hell, like the Colts, like the Panthers, right? These are teams who are struggling and have struggled since the demise of their generational quarterbacks, be it Andrew Luck for the Colts, Cam Newton for the Panthers. Um, And then you fall into limbo where you're trying to play this QB carousel of veteran QBs who are not that good. And you end up in this, and that's that's where the value becomes. It's where the position becomes overhyped because it has such a it it is the most impactful position on the field. Now, to talk about why some quarterbacks do get 
do get the benefit of the doubt do get all this do do get the the red carpet roll out even though they're they're playing terrible looking at you Aaron Rodgers you it it's it's div- <laughs> and i understand right i i work in diversity equity and inclusion everyone's going to be like oh it's the race guy but if it, it, it clearly plays a factor right the 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 discussion of how long it took to get credit for black quarterbacks and 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 quarterbacks of color the actual credit that they that they deserve is ridiculous it's 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 asinine right the the thing that will blow my mind still blows my mind you know who gets no hate whatsoever for some reason just walks on like roses jimmy garoppolo blows my mind here absolutely blows my mind the team is better when he does not throw a touchdown pass. I have this stat here, right? Highest career winning percentage as a QB, right? Minimum 10 game starts. Number three, Patrick Mahomes at 780, uh, uh, 783 win percentage. Otto Graham at a 792. And then at an 833, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo when he throws zero touchdown passes in a game. He does not help his team win games. By not doing anything, they win. But you have people like Lamar, you have people like Tua, you have people like Justin Fields, who are out there and creating and generating amazing plays week after week, day after day, grinding to get their teams a win, and no one talks about it. It's, oh, he's he's a mobile quarterback, right? You get the backhanded comments of, of, of what this what this becomes and then you end up getting oh he's a running back right that's to my ravens fans i know that is like nails on a chalkboard right i i it's clear that we have we are we have progressed a long way even in the last 10 years right since the the real two quarterbacks that helped really revolutionize it michael vick followed by cam newton that helped actually begin to have and open up these conversations of how do we begin to address having a having a black quarterback right and i mike types in the chat warren moon i i I agree it's all respect to warren moon and right warren moon you have dante culpepper you have donovan mcnab but even at that level it wasn't a it wasn't a league-wide conversation it wasn't a nationwide conversation it wasn't these quarterbacks that are snap like breaking down the mold and breaking into mass markets and how we can begin to have more marketable quarterbacks. It, the, it plays a factor in that we're now, as we begin to diversify the, the way that our media looks with having people like Marcus Spears and Mina Kimes on ESPN talking football on a, on a daily basis, we'll see that the, the way that people catch heat, the way that people catch flack is going to change as well because we're diversifying it at all levels of the game. At the coaching level, still we need a, we need a lot of work. But right, the player level, we're having more black quarterbacks in the league than ever. Right, we look at the media; we're having a more diverse media population to talk about these games in a more analytical and more in-depth level, rather than looking like, "Oh, this player looks good; oh, this player doesn't." And so, bucks. Man, JP, and I think we could honestly. I I feel like we could talk about that one and make it just an entire episode um, about that. And you know, to use the football term the goalposts are always going to be moved. You know what I mean? You you do something and it's just, oh, well, you can't win a Super Bowl with that person. Well, you can't do this. You can't do that. We'll, we'll save that for another day. Um, let, let me transition into, in, into this. Still talking about, um, still talking about quarterbacks. Um, so th- this past week we've had um, what I'm going to go ahead and coin and I, I know it's not a big deal, but it kind of, I'm going to try and open it up a little bit bigger. We had wristband gate with um, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Now on, on the surface level. I didn't, sorry, I, I didn't hear about that. Could you, could you give it, could you give me a recap? Oh, okay. So Pete Carroll just made a comment about Geno Smith wearing a wristband and he was clearly talking about Russell Wilson, not wearing a wristband for his, for his stuff like during his games and how it makes things a little bit more complicated and things are a little bit more smooth with 
Geno Smith because he wears a wristband and just cuts down time and stuff like that. So there, there was that whole thing. And I'm, I'm and, sorry. And, time for time for like, I'm really curious. Like, well, it, it cuts down time from like the play call calling in. So instead of instead of saying like the whole banana slug seventy seven Y right swing, you know what I mean? It's just like right. Um, red blue seven or something like that and you can repeat it to you it i don't think it was like a whole thing but i saw it and i read an sure. article about it anyways it truly not a big deal but it, it made me kind of think a little bit more about russ left seattle and like in seattle all you heard was nothing but great things about russell wilson and just like I'll let Russ cook and Pete is holding Russ back and, and oh, it's the Legion of boom. So Gino was having this phenomenal success. You look at the numbers, you look at the stats of the Seahawks, damn near the same as kind of when Russ is there. Defense is still at the very bottom. They're like 30th in the league. Offensively, they're doing fine. So it, it makes you kind of wonder, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you guys, keep it long, keep it short, say what you want. Did Russ, yes, he won a Super Bowl, but did he get too much credit for his success in Seattle versus it should have been more Pete and the Legion of Boom? Because now I understand it's it's a weird scenario with him and him in Denver, but he's struggling hard. And I know it's a first-year coach, but you have all these players coming out and saying all this stuff about Russ, how he has to have a certain way, and Pete's kind of taking shots at him. How should Russ be treated? I I know it's only been nine games, but how how should this be viewed at, at this point right now? I, I think it's it's important to clarify. Well, it's important to state one thing. I think first, it's it's year one in a new program with a new coach. I, I don't know anyone who's going to go into a completely new system and be able to be successful unless that system is built for them specifically. So. I think Hackett's issues as a coach are bleeding over into a lot of what's a lot of Russell Wilson struggles personally. However, it is kind of weird, this friction between Carol and Russ and kind of like the team, but I feel like that's more of a locker room issue. Um, However, the whole wristband thing is so weird to me and like such a, it's such a weird comment because there are other quarterbacks in the, in the league. I'm sorry, but I'm going to stick on this. It's, it's like, it's weird to me. Like wristband or not, like you still have to call it the plays and like get up to the line of scrimmage. Sometimes you're just repeating them. It it's, it's, that's wild to me. Um, But yeah, I, I think Russ deserves to have the second year really be his litmus test because he's coming into a new system with new players and trying to figure it out. And yes, they have an off season together, but it's not, in my opinion, enough to build the kind of chemistry you'll need to be a successful team. I think players like Brady have been lucky in the sense that they go to a team that already functions really well together and is cohesive um, and is able and was able to uh, step into a, a, a more tailor-made system to a, as we might proverbially call a traditional quarterback. And so Russ perhaps I think needs, needs another year um, and maybe a new head coach to, to really figure it out and get on a, uh, the level that I think he can be. I will say, though, that it is increasingly difficult for a lot of these head coaches to uh, watch their players go somewhere else and be successful. And so I think it's kind of petty on, on Carol's part as well to kind of to even cast a little bit of, of shade that way, um, considering how they're season hasn't been at least it wasn't to start uh what what they thought it would be and and it's taken a little bit for them to gel but it's what a weird what a weird comment that's that's where i'll say that so i'm trying not to like i'm trying not to be like this this mass contrarian right i don't normally like to operate in that way but i i think that a couple things to to talk about so the wristband thing whatever like someone asked him what's different about the offense this year than last year he points out we're now using a wristband in our play calling. That's something we, we, we haven't done before. There was resistance before doing that. That's how we get there. That's this whole situation, right? You ask somebody a question, he gives you an answer. That's this, that's the situation, right? Most, most very complicated word, heavy schemes use a wristband, right? McDaniels in Miami, McVeigh in LA, uh, Bruce Arian or Brian Lefwich in 
Tampa, right? They use wristbands. Wristbands are a common thing. It's more uncommon to see someone without a wristband. So whatever. It, it's a throwaway comment. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Like it, the whole situation and breakdown with Russ. I mean, when you get to a point where you're trying to protect your image so much, and, and a lot of it, it's a, it's going to be a very interesting case study to see after his career is over, um, because of the switch up, right? You know from his time from NC state to Wisconsin, divorcing his wife, then starting, then dating Sierra, marrying Sierra, everyone making fun of him because that's futures, baby's mama, right? All that stuff takes a psychological, psychological effect on a person. And once, once he met that fame with another, he met his individual success and fame with the fame of his, his spouse, you saw a change, right? One of the most impo- one of the most down to earth people that the game has ever seen in Marshawn Lynch when he says that I can't I don't I didn't have his cell phone number and that's my quarterback, that's a little weird, right? So those things you have to take it into account and and I guess where I was kind of making my faces was to Mike's point of like it's the first year in a first system like I get that, but you have expectations. You signed a two hundred and forty five million dollar contract. You don't get you don't get the 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 test period you got to show up you have to show up and show out to show you on a flip side matt stafford first year in a new system goes to la wins the super bowl tom right? brady in tampa bay tom won brady won a super bowl won a super bowl immediate success that's the expectation when you get paid like the best you have to perform like the best there's no if ands if ands or buts about it right we talk about on this podcast all the time about lamenting contracts. This is going to be a contract that is lamented because even when you look back on his play all throughout this, this first half of this season, he's missing wide open receivers. These are things that aren't like schematic issues. These are, there is a, there's a check down right in front of me, wide open in the end zone. I missed that receiver. That happened multiple times throughout this the season so far that's not a systemic thing that's a that's a you need to get through your progressions you need to move it up you got to speed it up so i i guess i respectfully i I just disagree that with 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 those those statements in in that you have to produce that this is what you're getting paid for this is what we spent all this capital not only trading players and picks to get you but we're also you're the highest paid player in the league go out there and prove it so I don't think that you don't get the chance of a second season litmus test. Not, not for that much money. If this was a rookie quarterback that you took in the first round, number one overall. Yeah. I'll give you your litmus test. Right. The same thing I'm doing with, with all these young quarterbacks, right. With but the two of the boroughs. Is that, is that a lot to ask for it for such an investment? If you look at it from more of a long-term, a long-term idea, if, if you're investing this much money in, in a player, don't you want them to acclimate to your system and, and, and or make it better? If that's not happening in the first year, is that what, what are you going to do? You're going to cut him? You're, like, you're going to let him go? You've already sunk all this money into him. Why not give him the full or at least a, a, an extra year? I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, I think that JP's point, what he's saying is, we backed up the Brinks truck for you. We expect more. Yeah, you're going to have like these small hurdles, which is completely fine. But to completely perform like the way he is, I think is is unacceptable. But I think that's where that's where the the head coach's his failures are bleeding into the reality of having a quarterback who also has to learn a system. Right? You have two brand new people who are in in. The, arguably the most important positions on the field at any given time, right? And so, yes, the franchise has made this investment in both Hackett and Wilson, but not necessarily allowed them the time to, not necessarily provided the environment for success, and therefore the investment, I think, needs to a little bit more time to mature and pan out. That's just, again, my perspective on on his, him specifically. I think Hackett being being... Um, uh, uh, an issue is more of a problem than Russell not uh, uh, taking to the the offense as quickly. But that's again my just my takes. So sorry, continue. No, no, no. I think you're, it's a good it's a good point to bring up, and I, that's why I, like I didn't mean like I want to say that I, I I come into this disagreement with just a different perspective. But you're not going to cut him. You're not going to trade him. But the reality is, so far this investment has been a failure. 
because mediocrity is not the plan. If mediocrity was the plan, you would have just stick. You just stuck with Drew Locke, and you can be a you can be a you know seven and nine, a, or sorry, not seven and nine. What is it? Seven and ten, right? Seven and ten, right? Yeah, seven and ten. Uh, math is not happening this late in the evening for me, right? It's you. You have to grade it as to what you what has been produced as, as for your production right now. You don't get the. I don't think that you get the litmus test. You. Once you hit that upper echelon, your grading starts now. Your grade, your your. I understand that you want to let the investment mature and all that, but you have to make your. You can call it like you see it now. You don't. You don't get the development period because guess what? You're no longer a developmental quarterback. You're and no I, longer I a project. That's, that's a, I think that's a great point, JP. I I really do, and I think that's the issue almost. And, and I think that's then why I think the head coaching issue is more of, sorry, the head coaching condition is more of an issue because to your point, if you're paying this quarterback to come in and be great now, like Brady was, you also need Arians, the type of coach who had been established and had that team in a certain position for the quarterback. Again, just something I'll, I'll attack onto that. Sorry, Greg, go ahead. No. So that's why I think I, if, if you want to say, if it was anyone else, if he had like a rookie or someone that was just been in the league for two years, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you know what? It's going to take, it's going to take a season or two, but because you have Russ, okay. Like, yeah, like JP saying, you don't get that buffer anymore. I think it also is a huge detriment to Russ and Hackett because three head, three brand new head coaches are on the scene this year. Mike McDaniels first place in his division. Matt Eberflus, is it Matt Eberflus with Chicago? Wasn't working for about six weeks. Went to his offense coordinator. They came up, changed things up. Look at what Fields is doing out there now. And then the other one, New York with Daniels. Yeah, he's not putting up huge numbers, but I mean, they're what, seven and two on the year, six and two on the year. So like, yeah, it, it could only... Your head coach and quarterback obviously can only can get you so far, but I mean Russ, if it, since his head coach is so far down, he has to he can't be meeting his head coach, and that's what he's doing right now. They are playing and coaching at the same exact level. When his play, if they want to say he's a future Hall of Famer and, and type of stuff like that, he's got the Super Bowl, he's got the pedigree. That's why we paid you. You need to make up for that gap until your head coach can meet you. And I will 100% agree he's failing, failing there, failing very hard. I, I don't want to get this twisted that, like, I don't like Russ. I, I love Russ. I hope he succeeds there. But I don't think anyone expected what we're seeing now. And it just it just makes him vulnerable. Minus take all his corniness out that people roast him on and stuff. As an actual player, he is not performing up to his ability. And that is why people like us now can talk about this and make questions now of, Hey, is Russ really what we thought he was in Seattle or was it that defense was, was, did Pete know his inefficiencies and kept him in it? And that's when people are, Oh, you got to open it up. It's such an elementary offense and stuff. Well, maybe Pete had it like that where it was dependent on the run game because he knew Russ's limitations. So I think it's just very interesting. And obviously we'll have no idea obviously until his career is over. But that, that's what I love about football and sports is you can always come up with these what ifs and these questions and these debates and you can play both sides and see the arguments. But yeah, that, that's, that's where I'll stay and just leave that. I'm just interested to know what your hypothetical is and like how, how that was going to work its way into this conversation, because it, it has been great to kind of be on both sides of this. Um, and I'm, I'm curious where this will take us. Well, it depends on how long we want to talk for because I know we we still have to get to our our uh, next week's pickums and and game talks. So I could save it for next week if you guys want, or I can just throw it out there right now. Let's do something weird. Let's change it up a little bit. Let's we get one sentence response, and we'll All elaborate right. next week. All right, and this I've been thinking about this one for a while, so it, it's out there. Okay, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it now. If I, since there's no owner for the Green Bay Packers, if I'm in the Packers front office, if we lose next week or on Thursday night, I bench Aaron Rodgers for the rest of the year, see what, George, see what I have in Jordan Love, and I work with Aaron 
to try and trade him because it's not working. And if he doesn't have a no trade clause, I understand his money is ugly, but I was reading up on it. It can work. Trades can work. Something can work if a team is willing to. But there's that's the big if. There, it's it's very ugly. I'm not even going to get into all the finances and all that crap because it's ugly. But like I said, hypothetical. Bench them. Start talking with teams. See what see what is out there. You at least can see Jordan Love. Play him if not with your draft picks. Draft someone new. Would you move off of them, JP? Let's start with you. What do you do? I don't trade him. Tell me why. You'll find out next week. Mike, what about you? I am going to trade him. All right. That was pretty easy. I know if we had more time, we'd probably dive in the, on this a little bit, but we'll table this discussion to next week so we can hear JP's talk. And folks, it's time to look forward. We've spent so much time looking back on this. Let's look to next week. We have some really interesting matchups next week one particular that i'm very excited about but i want to talk to you boys week 11 we have we have a pretty decent slate across the board so greg what game outside of the primetime window are you most excited to watch next week you know i had to disagree with you there for a second because when i was first looking at the lineup for this week i wasn't too impressed with all the games but my my eyes did gravitate to one and I think, it, to me, I think it's the best matchup of the weekend, and that's Cowboys at the Vikings. I'm afraid that this matchup could become, I don't want to say bad, but it may not live up to those expectations because the Vikings just came off of hands-down game-of-the-year type play in Buffalo, and it was – they needed that. I feel like they needed that win so much um, – Buffalo did too, but I feel like Minnesota needed that win a lot more because there's a lot of people out there that doubt them, especially Kirk Cousins. So now you're coming in, you're hosting the Cowboys. Cowboys were just off of uh, a tough loss in uh, Green Bay, a, a game they shouldn't have lost. You know you're going to get their your best effort from them. Um, Cowboys came into your house last year and beat you with a backup quarterback. So if all things go well and they don't have, and the Vikings don't have this ang- like hangover from such a big win, and they can match the intensity and the level of play that the Cowboys, you know, are going to come out and play with, I think this has the potential to be the game of the week. That's what I'm excited for. I think Minnesota should win the game, but I won't be surprised if the Cowboys beat them off a late field goal, um, just like I said, from that tough loss in Green Bay. Yeah, and, you know, the Vikings have a chance. It's not a primetime game, so Kirk Cousins is not going to completely collapse. Mike, what games are you looking forward to this week? Um, yeah, outside the uh, um, primetime window, I think at the beginning of the season, I don't know anyone who was excited for the Jets um, in their season, but I think that them versus the Patriots is going to be an interesting game. I mean, they're both in, in plus territory as far as record. Uh, it's a divisional matchup. Um, I think it's a it's another notch um another notch type game for Sala to get his boys up for and i think that they could probably take that game however what a great what a great test for them uh against the patriots so i'll be interested to see that um and oh they're here uh they're in out in foxborough so that'll be that'll be probably the game i'm watching but <laughs> uh, should be good so i'm gonna change it up a little bit i'm gonna go with two teams that have losing records but it, i think it's just gonna be a fun exciting matchup to watch and for me, that's going to be the Bears and the Falcons. I I really like what the Falcons have been able to do, as as tough as that is to say. Yes, we did beat them on Thursday night, which is great. You know, I my Panthers don't know how to do anything right. They can't win right. They can't lose right. We'll figure it out someday. Probably not. But what we're seeing from Justin Fields, what we're seeing from the rushing attack in in Atlanta, it's it's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, you know, to see what Justin Fields has been able to do these last four weeks has been incredible. You know. One of the first quarterbacks to ever have 150, almost 100, uh, it was 140 yards rushing and throw two touchdown passes. It's, it's incredible, right? It is like MVP Lamar season type numbers he's putting up. And it's it's just, it's very fun to watch. So that's going to that's gonna be my, Mike, you're shaking your head. Go ahead and let it out, buddy. 
No, uh, someone just someone just suggested that Justin Fields is, has a higher ceiling than, than Lamar, and I thought that was ridiculous, and it just, I'm having flashbacks to that, so. I would say they have equivocal ceilings. All right. Uh, if we weren't running low on time, if we weren't running low on time, boys, it's time for primetime pickups. Let's get excited about this. So to give you guys a recap heading into this week, Greg and I, had some upsetting decisions this week. Not a great week from from either of us. Both going two and two. Mike taking the lead this week, going three and one. So we have some season recap numbers, right? So I unfortunately am in last place. These upset picks have not been kind to me. So I'm currently sitting at seventeen and twenty seven on the season, and tied for first place with both nineteen hits. Um, both going nineteen and twenty six. We have Greg and Mike. So let's get into it this week, gentlemen. We have. Thursday night football, Titans at the Packers. We have the Packers three-point favorites in this game. Thursday night, Greg, who do you got taking home this win? I have the Titans winning this game. And if it, if it wasn't a primetime game, that would be my upset of the week. Hmm. Mike, you seem a little seem, seem to be nodding in agreement over there. What do you got for Thursday night? Yeah, I also have the Titans. However... This is probably the game that I am least sure on. I have a feeling that the Packers might uh, pack it in for this game and, and turn it around. But, um, yeah, Titans for me. How about you, James? I'm going to play the points this week. Uh, I'm going to, to pick up some points. I'm going to take the Packers. I'll take the Packers on a last-minute field goal. I think that this troubles that is the starting quarterback for Tennessee are going to rear their head. Um, so I got the I have the Packers taking, taking the win this week. That leads us to Sunday Night Football. We have our first flexed game of the year. The NFL has moved the Bengals and Steelers out of prime time and has placed the Chiefs and the Chargers Sunday night. So, Greg, who do you got? The NFL really should start these flex games week one so that we don't get uh, any more crappy primetime games. But uh, I'm going with the Chiefs. And I'm, I'm going to say close. The way the Chargers played... Uh, the Niners last weekend. I'm not going to say they're going to run away with it. They they somehow kept it close. So I'm I'm going Chiefs. Mike, who you got Sunday night? Well, uh, now that we know that Jeff Bezos owns Greg and paid him to plug getting better games on prime time, um, yeah, I'm also going to go Chiefs here. I think though, to everyone's point, uh, the Chargers played pretty well last week, and uh, I'm this is another kind of flip flop, but I'm going to lock in the Chiefs. Yeah, I think the Chargers are just too many injuries. It's going to be too tough for them. So I, I have the Chiefs taking it this way as well. I'm excited to see what Kadarius Tony has started to to show out for in this Chiefs offense, which is just another dangerous weapon. This leads us to Monday Night Football. We have the Niners going into the desert, fighting the Dirty Birds. We've got Niners at Cardinals Monday night. Very interesting spread here. An eight-point spread, despite the Cardinals hopefully having Kyler Murray back. I think that's a that's a pretty big spread. So, Greg, who do you have taking it Monday night? First off, when you mentioned the Dirty Birds, I thought they were playing the Falcons. But I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers. I just don't like the Cardinals this year. Um, doesn't seem like they're ever getting it together. And just when you think they will turn it around, they don't. So I'm, I'm I'm going with the Niners. Monday Night Football, Mike, who you got? Um, so I actually played with a guy in high school who plays for the Niners. Uh, so I'm sorry, for plays for the Cardinals. And in watching uh, the midseason HBO um, Hard Knocks, uh, the Cardinals are in, are surprisingly a very likable team, but they also make a lot of errors. And so I I have to go with the Niners here, and I just think that uh, that that backfield is just dirty and if jimmy g doesn't have to throw a pass i think they're they're gonna do well so that's where i think they'll they'll succeed so i'm gonna go niners here yeah i think that the the rushing attack is going to be too much i think with the way that elijah mitchell made his return from the ir this this week i think that one two punch i think mccaffrey still should be getting the load the high the heavier load of the offensive snaps but i i think that the the niners are just going to be too much for this team now let's talk about what separates the cream of the crop. Let's talk about these upset picks of the week. So we have our DraftKings odds in front of us. Greg, who is your upset pick of the week? 
All right, I talked about them earlier, and they were also my upset pick of the week last week, which and um, I'm gonna pull a I'm gonna pull a JP on this one and have it be called an upset, even though it won't be an upset. Is the Vikings over the Cowboys? Mm, okay, okay. I'll ignore the uh, the backhanded compliment there, and we are moving on to Mike. Who do you got for your upset pick of the week? I'll just go back to that. Greg, was a great call last week with the Vikings. Um, but I think this week I'm going to go with the Bears. You know, I, I think the, the the Falcons have looked good, but I think the Bears may, might be starting to click on a couple more cylinders. So I think this could be a, um, a get-right game from that upsetting one-point loss last week. Ooh, that was going to be my pick, but I don't want to be like you, so I'm going to change my pick up here. What, you don't want to be a higher rank in this overall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was told we don't talk enough crap on this podcast here, JP. So why don't you get it together? Nah, bump that. I'm picking my own path. I don't need this mic nonsense. I'm going to go with the New York football Jets. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. They're going to go into Foxborough. And they're going to hand old man Belichick his awfully tattered and probably smelling disgustingly little cutoff hoodie. They're going to go into Foxborough, unlike the Swifties stuck in the queue. Exactly, right? The Jets are going to have Patriots fans feeling like they like they worked at Ticketmaster. It's going to be terrible. I got the Jets coming in, and it's going to be a seven-point win. I know that the spread is Patriots favored by three. Jets take it by seven. That's aggressive. I love it. Don't sit there in your passive-aggressive judgment, Greg. <laughs> Old passive-aggressive Greg. No passive aggressiveness on my end. I'm. I like everyone's picks this week. Um, I see JP trying to go on the ledge, trying to get get some points. You know, it's funny. We're only separated by two points, but with some of these games looking like air quote chalk, you know how it was last week. We all chose the same for the most part. One game separated us, and like it, it's just close. So yeah, the, if the upset picks were like double points or something, that's where we would really hit. But. Maybe we'll do that next year for more fun or something. And I think what's been tough is that we've had such kind of blowout primetime games. Like we haven't had like obviously this past Monday night was was different, but the primetime games. And last Thursday, everybody thought the Falcons were going to roll. Week eleven, week eleven has or week week ten. Sorry, we're in week eleven. Week ten changed up a bit with the with the Thursday and the Monday night, but for the rest of the season, it's been pretty. Pretty milk toast. Well, and that's what we love to see. Milk, toast, classic, classic breakfast. <laughs> well, eggs, bacon, and toast. Eggs, yeah. bacon, and toast. JP knows what I'm talking about. That brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, just thank everyone for listening. As usual, if you haven't subscribed or left us a review yet, I really don't know what you're what you're waiting for. Um, unless this is your first time listening, then uh, then I'm sure you just loved us in this episode. Go back and listen to all the other, you know, 40 of them that we have. I'm sure you'd love us even more. But please leave us a review, like, subscribe. We love reading those. We love seeing them, and it's the best way to get other people to find us. Um, so wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye.